Well, hey, uh, this morning, this talk is going to be titled Spiritual Practices for, for Growing to Become Like Jesus. Spiritual Practices for Growing to Become Like Jesus. Over the past couple weeks, we've been kind of taking this little pause just to look at these different things in our life. The last week, we talked about grief. The week before that, we talked about what kind of season of life are you in. And today, we're going to talk about spiritual practices. When Jesus calls people to follow him, he makes a promise to change them. He makes a promise to change them. You may come as you are, but there is no promise that you can stay as you are. That's not a promise he makes to us. And when you come into contact with him, things begin to change. And that's exactly what we see in the Gospels as Jesus encounters different people and calls people to follow him. And one of the first examples we see that is in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 1, we're going to go there. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 read, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus, would you speak to us this morning? but the kinds of people you want us to become and how we can partner with you in that process. How we can say yes to you. And we pray this in your strong and mighty name. Amen. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is the promise that Jesus makes. He will change you. And why does he make this promise? It's because of sin. It is humanity's greatest illness. Jesus came and became a man to confront the effects of sin and to restore humanity and creation and culture to once again reflect his character and glory. Albert M. Walters, he says, what was formed in creation has been historically deformed by sin and must be reformed in Christ. Jesus began to undo the effects of sin through his death on the cross and his resurrection Three days later. But the way God wants to transform you is through a relationship. A relationship with his son, Jesus. The way you change, the way I change, is actually by keeping company with Jesus. And his invitation to anyone who will listen is intended to address this, this problem of sin. See, when he invites Adam and, or sorry, Andrew and Simon to follow him, he, it, this invitation centers on three things. One is an invitation to be with him, follow me. Second is an invitation to become like him, I will make you. And third is this invitation to do what he does. I will make you fishers of men. Let me just quickly go through that. Follow me. Jesus invites us to be with him. Prophets declared, follow God. The rabbis during Jesus' time would say, follow my teaching, meaning my interpretation of the scriptures. But Jesus declared, follow me. Follow me. It's a person that we are invited to come to. The main thing is Jesus. He is God with flesh on. He makes God known. We have to understand that the call to follow Jesus is a call to be drawn into a relationship that is at the center of the universe. 
a relationship that Jesus has enjoyed with the Father and with the Spirit. This is a call to intimacy, and this is what Jesus calls us to. You were not created to abide by a series of religious duties. You were created and redeemed to experience a life of relationship with God. Through Jesus, his life, his death, and resurrection, we have this unfettered access to God. We can know him, we can feel him, we can experience the same love, grace, joy, and generosity that Jesus has enjoyed forever with his Father and with the Spirit. Jesus also invites us to become like him. I will make you. See, being a disciple was more than just being a spectator or a student of Jesus. You didn't just kind of follow him and see what he does and say, no, that was so cool, Jesus. Thanks for letting me be part of this. There was more to it than that. It meant to eat, sleep, and breathe the readings of your rabbi so that you could become like them. Being a disciple wasn't about knowledge acquisition, just knowing everything that they talked about. It was about transformation. You wanted to become like your rabbi. The Apostle Paul in Romans will write that God intends to use all things for the good of those who choose to be disciples of Jesus so that they may be, quote, conformed to the image of his son. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you need to know that he intends to radically transform you, to change you. He will renew your mind. He will awaken godly desires. He will empower uh, you to be able to obey him so you can follow him. He will open your eyes so that you can see the world as he intended you to see it. And this is why he said, if you're my disciples, you will love one another. You will obey my commands, my teachings. You will lose your life for my sake. You will bear up your own cross. You will imitate me. You will do as I have done for you. It's not enough for us just to say, I agree with Jesus. A disciple imitates Jesus and obeys him. Action leads to transformation. And Jesus also invites us to do what he does. I will make you fishers of men. Now this term, fishers of men, the Greek word for men is anthropoi, which refers here to both men and women, not just men. And it was a common description in Jesus' day of philosophers and other teachers who would, quote, capture men's minds through teaching. Jesus chooses to be his disciples Ordinary people like fishermen, tax collectors, social outcasts to be the ones who will capture minds, who will capture others. That is his strategy. He wants them to do as he does. And he seeks to do the will of his Father. To know the Father, to love, to forgive, to serve, to bring God's goodness and love to your pocket of the world. To make him known through your words, through your actions, through your conduct. He wants people to be drawn towards him through your life and relationship with him. Jesus comes and invites us into this intimacy and loving relationship that has existed before the foundation of the world. When he says, follow me. And he promises to transform us so thoroughly that we begin to do the things that he does, which is image God or make God known. We fish for people. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you need to know that you're ultimately enrolling in his school of formation. So how do we do that? How do we follow him and then begin to be changed? Well, what I want to do is provide us with a bit of an understanding of how God 
changes us. And then I'll situate the spiritual practices within that. And I think this is important because we don't often think about this. We, we often can have this simplified version of how God changes us in our mind that goes something like this. We become Christians, maybe we pray a prayer, we read our Bible, we try to pray every day, we go to church on Sundays, and somehow we hope that by doing those things we just kind of change. That the anger and irritability that we have in our life just kind of over time just goes away. That, you know, maybe our, our selfishness or anxiety, that'll just go away just by doing those things. Yet you and I know through experience that that's often not the case. That while we become followers of Jesus and we do experience change, that there's certain parts of our character that just seem like they're not being addressed. What's going on there? We often lack this, lack this framework for change, for how God changes us. And so what I want to do this morning is spend a bit of time just kind of situating how God changes, giving us a bit of a picture for that. And I've reworked this material from a guy named Dallas Willard. Through Jesus, we have access to God. That is the good news. We have access to God right now. Not tomorrow, not just when we die, today, right now, here in this place. We can know him. It doesn't matter our economic status, our social class, our stage of life, our past, our level of intelligence, our capacity. None of those things matter. We have access to God if we put our trust in Jesus. That is, is good news. The new life and creation that Jesus is bringing is available to you right now, here in this place. And when we say yes to these three things, God begins to change us. The first is yes to the Holy Spirit's action. We can't change apart from the Holy Spirit. Apart from his work in our life, we need the constant movement of the Spirit. This is not a self-help project for how do I change on my own. The Spirit has to do this work in us. We cannot do this on our own. The Spirit begins to apply the merits of Jesus' salvation to your life. In John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes Jesus real to you. He helps you see who Jesus truly is. Hear Jesus. He reminds you of what Jesus has taught you. He comforts you. He leads you into the truth. He strengthens and empowers you to be able to obey. The Spirit makes his home in you when you put your trust in Jesus. And so the Spirit will also convict you of sin in your life when you're living as opposed to Jesus' reign. This is what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is constantly trying to lead you into what is good, true, and beautiful in Christ. And the Spirit will sustain and give you life. Romans 8 verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. When we say yes to the Spirit's action in our life, we receive this wind in our sails that enables us to move and act with a power that is not our own. And many of you have experienced that. That as you've said yes, even though it felt scary and difficult, 
God enables you by the Spirit to obey, to do things, to change that you couldn't do just on your own. So we say yes to the Spirit's action in our life. The second way that God will change us is through life's trials and temptations. Life's trials and temptations. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5 say, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. James will write at the very beginning of his letter, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now think about that. Two different people, Paul and James are saying, hey, count it all joy when you face and meet various trials. Paul is saying, hey, rejoice. We rejoice in our suffering. Count it all joy and rejoice. I don't think that's my first inclination when, I'm, when I face suffering, when I face trials. That's not the way I go. But why are they saying that? Why are they saying that we can rejoice in these moments? It is because it is in these places that we can meet God and be changed. If we surrender and say yes to the Spirit's purposes, God can meet us in this place and conform us into Christ's image. This is where we can actually experience and find the reign of God with us. This is our winters, our griefs that we've talked about for the last two weeks. This is where you see that, these trials and temptations. God can change us in those places. We often don't feel like we have control over those things to, that come to us, but we do have control over how we will respond. It's what it is that God wants to do in those moments. And then third, saying yes to spiritual practices for growth. Now, I want to be clear here. The spiritual practices are about following him into the activities that he engaged with to nurture his relationship with the Father. And the gospel records that Jesus engaged with practices like prayer, silence, solitude, service, celebration, reading of scripture, sacrifice, and fasting. Jesus needed 40 days in solitude before he began his public ministry. We see his life had these rhythms, different ways where he would engage with God and also engage with this world. And because of Jesus, you and I, we have this access now to God the Father. And these spiritual practices are about putting ourselves in positions where we can meet with him and be changed by him. It's about putting us in these positions where we actually can be with him. Paul in Galatians 6, 8 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Richard Foster, he wrote this book called The Celebration of Discipline. And he talks about these practices. He uses the term discipline. I'm using the word practices. And he uses this analogy that farmers, he says, they're helpless to grow their grain. All they can do is cultivate the soil. They can plant the seed. They can water the plants. 
but they're powerless to make that plant grow, for the grain to come up. They need the natural forces of the earth to take over so that that grain grows. And that's what the spiritual practices are like. They are God's way of getting us into the ground. The practices put us where God can do his work in us and transform us. Because ultimately, the spiritual practices place us before him. And whenever we come before God, we can't stay the same. Peter, the one who responded to Jesus' invitation to come and follow him, who believed that Jesus could make him into a fisher of men, he writes in 2 Peter verse 1, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. Some of us hear that and we're like, how does that relate to our, our faith? And, and one of the helpful ways I've heard it put by Dallas Willard is that God is not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning. And those are two different things, effort and earning. We cannot earn the affection of God. We cannot earn his acceptance. This isn't what that's about, though. This is about you're already accepted, but he wants to continue to change you to transform you. There's a part that we have to play. Those are different things. And when you say yes to the Spirit's work through the spiritual practices, God changes you. So how does that look? Well, here's a, what I think is a helpful diagram that gives you a bit of this picture, right? The, the action of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual practices, and life's trials and temptations. And notice in the center, you see, there's this centered on the mind of Jesus. Centered on who he is, what he's like, what he does. We seek to imitate him, to train ourselves for godliness. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So in all of these different uh, ways, we, we seek to do that. But then I would add one more thing. And I think there's another slide for that. See, this transformation happens in the context of community. We are not these little solo projects that just follow Jesus on our own and we don't need anybody. That's not what the church is about. We're meant to be a, a community of people who follow the Lord together, a community following Jesus together. And I know this is hard for us because many times we get hurt by people within this community, within the church. But one thing we have to remember is that though we get hurt in community, we're also restored in community. And it's not always the exact same community, but it is among the people of God. Part of our formation has to happen among a community, among people. Following Jesus is not a solo deal. Now here's why I, I try to situate this. I want us to understand how God changes us. It's not just all on us. 
but we do have a part to play, a part to play in our transformation. You're not a passive participant in the process. He wants you to partner with him in this transformation work. That's why he says, follow me. There is a, a response we have to have to him. He comes to us, but we need to respond to him. Follow me. He expects there to be movement on our part, us saying yes to him. And there's two kind of ditches that will happen when we think about these spiritual practices and trying to bring them into our life. One ditch, Richard Foster will call it human striving for righteousness. Meaning it never really feels, and the problem with it is in this ditch is it's never really enough. You get discouraged because you feel like you can't do these different practices that you try to bring into your life. And in the end, all human striving ends with moral bankruptcy. Because you're working to please him when he's already pleased with you in Christ. You're forgetting the good news of the gospel, that God forgives and accepts you on the basis of Christ's perfect, sinless life. Being rightly related to God is a gift. We receive it. We do not earn it. You're not working for this new identity when you do these things. You already have the new identity. And yet, just because it's God's work in our life, doesn't mean that we just sit around and wait for God. That would be the other ditch. This absence of any effort, of any striving. It's this passivity. You might say, well, if, if God's the one who does this work in me, maybe I just have to wait until he does it. I wonder when God's going to deal with all my anger and impatience, my irritability, my, my selfishness, or my people-pleasing. That's not how this works. That's this other ditch. We need to avoid both of them and walk down the middle of the path, that's the part we have to play. We don't see ourselves anymore now because we're in Christ as sinners trying not to sin in order to attain this identity as being beloved children of God. No. We must see ourselves as followers of Jesus, training to follow him in all areas of our life. It's a different identity. We follow, but he does the, transformation, the transforming work. And Richard Foster will say, as we travel on this path, the blessing of God will come upon us and reconstruct us into the image of Jesus Christ. We must always remember, though, that the path does not produce the change. It just places us where the change can occur. God is the one who changes us. We're just trying to put ourselves in that place where that can happen. So how... Here's what we need to do. We need to be a people who practice the spiritual practices. Practice the spiritual practices. And I've been intentional about using this word practices. Some of us hear discipline, and we don't have a great association with that word. But I think when we use the word practice, you think about something where you're, you're, try, you're, you're training and practicing to, get, to learn something, to do something that maybe you're not necessarily used to doing. And that's what we need to see here with these different practices. And so I want to just give you a bit of a, a, a list of them. And it's helpful to think of practices in two ways. Practices for disengagement, and we'll talk about those first. Practices for disengagement have a similar goal, to disengage from the distractions and lies of the world so that you can re-engage with God and the truths of his kingdom. And so this is where practices like solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, faithfulness, secrecy, listening, 
and study come. See, all of these are meant to withdraw, but an intentional, purposeful withdrawal so that you can reconnect with God. So this is where silence and solitude come in. Secrecy, listening. And if you're interested in it, I can give you like definitions and passages for each one, but I just want to be mindful here of time. See, when you realize you're burned out, frazzled, you, you feel consumed with the messages of the world, these practices can help change you by encouraging you to cease, withdraw, reflect. They connect you with your inner light and the voice of the Spirit. Then there are practices for engagement. And these practices have an ultimate goal of engaging with the world in such a way that Jesus and his kingdom become evident in your life. Some of these practices can be done on your own or with others. But in both cases, they are outward and engaging. Here is worship. Honoring God with all that we are and, and all that we say, praising him for who he is and declaring his, he is worthy of all honor. We do that here as a community. We engage with our world and with him. Celebration, prayer, fellowship, confession, submission, generosity. These are practices of engagement. And generosity can be giving freely and joyfully of our time, energy, and resources to God, his kingdom, and to those in need. Submission relates to considering others' needs above your own and laying down your own desires for the sake of the kingdom. Confession is agreeing with God about your sin and brokenness, knowing that he forgives, and bringing this honesty into your relationship with others, seeking their forgiveness as well. Celebration. I bet some of you didn't think of that as a spiritual practice, but it is. Thanking God for the good things he's created and done, rejoicing in the big and in the small gifts of life. These just give you a bit of an idea of the different practices that we can engage with. But how might you start? How, do, how can we start to maybe bring some of these practices into our lives? Well, one, I would say, don't do them all at once. You'll just be overwhelmed. I don't think that's the goal of them. The goal is not to be overwhelmed. The goal is to come into, to practice these things so that you come into his presence. See, most of us don't have the capacity to run a marathon right now. I know um, Andrew, he's done that. He's like, he's got the capacity to run a marathon even though he doesn't necessarily train as much as I probably would. But most of us don't. So instead of trying to run a marathon, we want to almost develop a, a training plan based on small incremental goals that don't seem maybe heroic or incredible, but over time they enable us to do what we couldn't do through direct effort right now. Small incremental goals. So some of you might be, I'll just use this as an example, might want to fast, but you're like, I turn into the grumpiest person whenever I fast. I can't, I'd have to be by myself. I'd have to practice solitude and fasting at the same time because I just, I'm a, I'm a grump. I'm hangry. So maybe that means a small incremental goal is just trying one meal on that day. And on that day, just that one meal, you, instead of 
fasting, you seek, every time you feel the hunger, instead of eating, I should say, every time you feel the hunger, you use that to pray, to remind you to pray. Those hunger pangs become your invitation to pray, asking for God to fill more of your life. All of us could do one meal. Some of us do that accidentally, and then we come home, and our, our family members tell us, you need to eat now because you are not, I'm, I don't like you right now. But that's a way, it's like a small way, an incremental goal. Doesn't seem heroic, but over time, we can build up our capacity. Second thing I would say, though, is that we, you can start with this honest assessment, and I think this is a really important thing. Start with an honest assessment. Following the way of Jesus and practicing his practices, begin with listening to the Spirit and believing what he says about our identity, who we are in Christ. And so some questions to start with here would be, where am I at spiritually? Where am I really in terms of my faith? Because each one of us are going to be in a different place, so it won't necessarily make sense for all of us to do the same thing. What area of my life does the Holy Spirit want to me to focus on? Yeah. What area of my life does the Holy Spirit want me to focus on? How do I take the next step in that journey? These are some questions that you can use to start. And see, depending on what you sense the Lord's saying and what you discern in this time, you may want to begin with one or two disengagement practices or engagement practices. And the goal is never that you've done them. Like, oh, finally I did the study practice, now I'm good. Check. I feel pretty good about myself. I've been pretty successful. Next, I'm going to try out uh, silence for two minutes. Check. I did that one. That's not what this is about. If that's how we come at to these, we're, we're missing the point. And it's really easy for us to think in that way and then think, well, I'm doing great or I'm doing terrible because I couldn't even do two minutes of silence. That's not what it's about. The goal is not that we've done them. The goal is to meet with our Father and say yes to whatever He says. That's where he changes us. It's in that place. And see, if you and I don't ever engage with these practices, then we end up missing out on a part of how Jesus wants to form us. That's part of how he wants to form us. We're missing out on a, a part of the way of Jesus. You become like a friend that you see once a week at a group gathering, but you never really connect with them during the week. So you rarely get the chance to make new memories, to go deep, to share life. There's just these one-offs. The doing of the practices, though, isn't the goal. It's growing to become more like Jesus. And these practices can help us become better at following him. They're not the end goal. They are a means by which we grow to become like Jesus. And through them, we can learn more about ourselves, our hearts, and about God. And it's in that place, as we try and train ourselves that God will change us, making us more generous, servant-hearted, sensitive to his leading, more thoughtful about his word intersects with our life, more patient and capable of waiting. I always need that one. That one, every day for me. Slower to speak, quicker to forgive, to care, to be more sensitive of your sin, more sensitive of the needs of others. The desire, the goal here is to be able to fully reflect the image of God as God intended for us. 
And Jesus makes that possible. And these practices are a way of putting us again in of God putting us in the soil where he can change us. And so I recognize that some of this might feel new for some of us, and for other of us, of us, we feel very familiar with this. Wherever you are, the invitation is to just take a next step. It's not to be overwhelmed. It's not to feel burdened. It's to see this as an invitation to meet with God in this way. I want to uh, read to you this prayer from Paul. He writes it in Ephesians 3. And I think it's just really fitting based on these practices that we've talked about. Paul will write in Ephesians 3, he says, you're only going to see a part of it, but I'm going to read a little before it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says, that sounds way too good to be true, right? He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, may that be true here among us. May this become the increasing reality that through us saying yes to the Spirit's action in our life, through the trials and temptations that we face on a daily basis, through these spiritual practices that we begin to bring into our life, we may be conformed more thoroughly into the image of your Son, Jesus, because he gets free reign in us because we want to be filled with all of the fullness of God. And so, Lord, we ask for mercy because we feel like <laughs> our hearts are prone to wander. We ask for mercy because this just feels beyond us. We ask, Lord, for faith. We, we just pray, we believe, Lord, help our unbelief. You are able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. And your power is already at work within us. So we ask that you would bring this to fruition for your glory in the church and in Christ Jesus and for our joy, we pray.